Welcome to another episode of The Blokes in Your Ear. Today, we're joined by Emma Grant. Emma played the last three seasons at Collingwood Football Club in the AFLW Premier Competition. Emma is also a school teacher, and this chat is a brilliant insight into how she balanced working full-time as well as being a professional athlete. Give it up for Emma. It's time for The Blokes in Your Ear podcast. All right, g'day, Emma. Thanks for joining us. Um, how is uh, COVID-19 treating you? Yeah, g'day, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, COVID-19 is uh, obviously a little bit different. Um, I'm a teacher, so teaching kids via teaching kids PE via the computer is a little bit strange. And then, obviously, uh, the footy um, obviously stopped um, during the season. So, yeah, it's all a bit strange. But, you know, we're lucky to probably be in Australia than anywhere else in the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. We're pretty lucky. Like the, the curve, as they say, is flattened out greatly and um, it's going down, which is what we want to hear. Um, with um, your footy career and teaching, do you want to sort of give us an insight into what you're doing now and sort of just an introduction to yourself, I suppose? Yeah, sure. So I obviously I started playing footy when I was um, nine-year-old at Gisborne with the boys. And obviously when I turned 12, there was no longer sort of a pathway for me to play football. So that's when I um, changed to netball and played for Gisborne in the, in the Bendigo Footy League um, and enjoyed that um, greatly. And it wasn't until I went to university up in Bendigo, um, Latrobe University there, that they started um, the women's football team for the Southern Uni Games. And from that, the Bendigo Thunder uh, Women's Football Club was, um, was developed. So I sort of had 10 years of not playing footy and I got back in and, yeah, really enjoyed playing and obviously meeting a whole new bunch of girls and, you know, the, um, we had a bit of success up there, winning a couple of flags. And, yeah, I guess for me it wasn't until um, Gil sort of spoke about bringing this um, AFLW forward to, you know, originally it wasn't supposed to come in until 2020. And when he said 2017, I thought I might have a chance and sort of a few doors opened up. Um, I got invited to, to go into the AFL Victoria Academy and I played for Melbourne in the exhibition games and, yeah, next minute I was uh, drafted to Collingwood. So, yeah, sort of been part of the AFLW since its inception at Collingwood. Um, absolutely loved my time there. Um, and obviously just in the last couple of weeks, I've made the big call to retire. Um, obviously this year hasn't been uh, sort of probably the last 12 months really has been, um, yeah, unfortunate in the sense of injuries. I um, sustained a pretty nasty ankle injury during the AFLW season last year and, had subsequently had uh, surgery on that and a shoulder after the AFLW season last year and sort of obviously rehabbed all that, ready to go for this year. And then, yeah, uh, suffered a pretty bad concussion in January in a practice match against North Melbourne. And unfortunately, that sort of, yeah, hit me for six and, um, yeah, went through some pretty dark days for the for about 10 weeks there and have only just sort of um, come out the other side and able to sort of function again normally but yeah I guess making the decision to to finish up with footy um, obviously I'm, I'm 30 years old so I'm not getting any younger um, the body obviously um, is a bit sore and and probably wants a bit of a rest but uh, I think just number one is to look after my health and um, you know it's pretty pretty tough working full-time and, and playing footy and I've got a wife as well so you know it's, it's something sort of got to give and um, yeah I mean it's, it's, it was tough call to make but i'm really happy with it and and, i look forward to sort of the next chapter yeah beautiful um with the concussion because yeah i was sort of reading up on it a little bit earlier 
there's sort of had a few stats in there from early the early days of AFLW, how a lot more girls were getting cast than the boys. Um, do you think that's because maybe the tackling technique wasn't quite uh, perfected because it was sort of fairly new days for um, the competition? Or do you think there's another reason why that might have been happening? Yeah, look, I think you're pretty much spot on. I think, you know, as I said, I, I had 10 years of not playing footy and then obviously a few years before I, before I was pulling on an AFL um, jumper. So, you know, again, we haven't had, you know, the, the probably the most experienced or best coaches um, playing in community leagues in, in women's football. Um, didn't have the pathway that obviously the girls have now through the NAB league. Um, so we'll, we'll see that drop and we'll see, the, you know, the skill and everything else just get better. But I think, um, yeah, I guess we weren't taught how to probably, you know, put our head over the footy and, and but look after our, ourselves with our body probably as much as the boys. So I think that's definitely got a um, definitely a factor to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just all it's all new stuff, but it's it's come a long way. Um, with your journey in the AFLW, what's it been like being, uh, you know, an integral part of the Collingwood Football Club and seeing the, because I've been watching it every year and the skill level and sort of understanding of the gameplay seems to be evolving every single year. So what's that been like seeing that firsthand and um, sort of keeping up with it, I suppose? Yeah, um, you know, to you know get that phone call from the Collingwood Footy Club after they announced that I'd been drafted to them and he- head on down to the Holden Centre. And um, Eddie was actually overseas, so he sort of came in via FaceTime and, you know, sort of welcomed us to the club and sort of said, you know, we're his new daughters. And from that moment, you know, I felt really welcome. Um, the, the footy club, you know, the facilities, you know, every, you know, walking in there four or five times a week, you know, sort of you can never get bored of that. But like just absolutely incredible, um, you know, to play that very first game in front of 25,000 at a lockout, you know, just you know, it's really hard to put into the words. So, yeah, I mean, as, as you said, the skill and every, you know, all that's just going to continue, continue to improve. Um, especially with the girls that are coming through now haven't had to have that break from footy. You know, they've they've played it since Auskick all the way through. They've been part of these really fantastic development leagues in, in the NAB League um, and been given some incredible opportunities. So, um, yeah, it was fantastic to be part of, you know, the history making at the start. Um, and I just look forward to seeing it continue to flourish. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, when you were a kid, uh, you said how you sort of changed codes uh, from AFL to netball when you were 12. So you obviously probably didn't have any idea that you would have the opportunity to play professional footy. Um, so what what was that like? You sort of touched on a little bit getting drafted and what that felt like, but uh, what sort of support did you have from the family and how did you sort of sh- share that time with them? Yeah, I think, you know, when I, I got carried off on the shoulders of some of my best mates in primary school in my last game of under-12s after we won the flag, I didn't think for a moment that I'd play footy again. And, you know, it was all just, it was great to play again. And it wasn't that, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, potentially play professionally, but the fact that the opportunities were opening up and, you know, it was just a fantastic time to be part of it. So, you know, my family's been there from the get-go, play, you know, playing in freezing cold Gisborne, um, for Gisborne, you know, nine o'clock in the morning to, you know, coming down and watching me play on the MCG for Melbourne in my very first sort of AFL game as such. Um, and then obviously, yeah, being in the stands at Icon Park. But, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's just it's just so great to see where, you know, where it was and where it's got to. I mean, playing for the Bendigo Thunder in the Victorian Women's Football League, you know, a lot of people didn't really know that 
women women were playing footy and it's just you know it's just opened up so many doors now and I just love the fact that any you know female that's born or young girls and young boys they can just look up and have you know role models and heroes as, as female footballers as well now yeah for sure and as a teacher I'm sure you get a lot of um, young girls and boys that would sort of see you as a massive role model um, yeah it's really lovely to just have yeah. them in the crowd and yell out Miss Grant and you go around and say good day to them and <laughs> yeah. um, you know they bring posters the next day to school and yeah that's that's super lovely yeah no that's awesome did you play other sports as a kid apart from netball and footy or was it was no the main main, two? yeah the main two I did you know I did athletics for a little while I mean in primary school and high school I did every sport I could for the school trying to get out of any any school work I could you know I was yeah I, I enjoyed every, every little bit every different part of sports so but yeah, so it's sort of um, football and then netball were my yeah definitely two, my two priorities. Yeah, cool. Um, and with getting drafted, so how did the actual opportunity come up? You said how you said some opportunities come up, but did you get sort of looked at by sort of um, some AFL sort of recruiters like AFLW, or um, was it sort of just they had a big pool of the better players sort of in the regional comps and they gave you a triad or how did that work? Yeah, so AFL Victoria, obviously, um, once Gill sort of brought it forward to 2017, um, developed this academy. So they brought in sort of the top 100 um, Victorian talent and to come in and, you know, to really, you know, I'd never lifted a weight and never been to a gym before that and, um, you know, two-kilometre time trials and, you know, lots of, um, you know, skill acquisition. So they knew that we needed, you know, over 100 females um, in Victoria to get drafted to the four Victorian um, teams that were obviously coming into the AFL. So, um, you know, that was sort of the start. And then obviously, yeah, um, teams started sort of interviewing regarding the draft. So it was obviously four Victorian teams in the very first draft. And, um, you know, obviously went down and had a, had a chat with Collingwood. Um, obviously, I'd been playing for Melbourne, so they knew of me. Um, Carlton were, were interested and I went down and had a tour and, a, and an interview there. And they even told me what draft pick they were taking me. And then the only team that you know, I hadn't spoken to was the Western Bulldogs and that was a team I grew up absolutely adoring and barracking for and obviously um, super keen for their, their win in the 2016 grand final. And I always say that, obviously, the draft was in 2016 and that's the year the Doggies won the flag and I was fortunate enough to go to the game. And um, my dad always says, what, what's your highlight of your year? And I just couldn't quite work out, what, you know, what it was, the 2016 grand final by the Doggies or was it getting drafted? So, yeah, I mean, mm. we had these interviews. Um, the clubs, you know, did a, did a power of working, working out, you know, obviously their list strategy and what they wanted. And, um, yeah, to be perfectly honest, when I was um, watching the draft with a with a really good friend of mine, Jess Kennedy, um, you know, Carlton had told me what pick I was going at. So I was sort of just waiting for that. And um, Collingwood ended up taking me two picks before uh, Carlton's pick. So, Feel a little bit of a spanner in the works because the other four um, Bendigo girls all ended up going to Carlton and I was the only one who went down to Collingwood. But, you know, as I, as I say, it was, you know, the, like I absolutely love my time at Collingwood and, you know, wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's really good. So with um, with the football, what position were you playing? Were you a midfielder or...? Yeah, so at Bendigo Thunder, I, I actually I started as full forward and then um, I ended up playing, yeah, a bit of primarily in the midfield. Um, you know, when I played for Melbourne, I played in the back line. Um, and I initially I got drafted by Collingwood as a, as a forward mid. Um, and I sort of sort of said to them, oh, I don't know if I can play midfield in AFL. And they're like, no, you'll be right. So the very first game, yeah, I played mostly forward. And then I, um, yeah, played a bit in the midfield. 
And then sort of year, years two and three, I played on the wing and then ended up playing sort of down back. So um, a couple of times I had, you know, just a, a, a role, like a tagging role on, on, on one of the, on the opposition's better players, which I, which I quite, quietly enjoyed. But um, yeah, I guess I can, I can play a little bit of everywhere, which, um, you know, the coaches always said helped, you know, because I was always like, I don't know where I'm playing. I'm playing forward, mid back. They're like, you, do, you don't worry. I'll just tell you where you're playing. You'll play that on the weekend. And that's the best thing about you, Granny. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Yeah, righto. So you weren't sort of given, so you're given roles, obviously, but you're sort of, do they sort of say play on instinct a bit? Or obviously when, yeah. you're, tag, obviously when you're tagging someone, you just want to get them out of the game and you can get a couple of touches yourself. It's a bonus. But with yeah. the other positions, was it more of just, picking it up as you went and sort of just doing it that way? Yeah, I think we, you know, and that was probably one thing with the pies. We probably overcomplicated the game plan a little bit. And obviously, you know, females have just come off playing community footy where there's not much game plan. You get the ball, you run, you kick, and you're trying to get it through the big sticks. Um, mm, probably, yeah. yeah, it's probably what we, uh, where we, you know, made a couple of errors in the first few years. And, um, you know, I think once, you know, especially this year, you know, bringing the game plan back to basics and having, you know, some, you know, super elite players getting coming back from injury and, and whatnot obviously helped our cause. But um yeah, I mean, as I said, even though we you know didn't obviously get the wins we wanted, um, still, you know, just amazing experiences. Yeah, for sure. So when you were a kid, just say you played with mainly the boys, what was that like? Um obviously when I was a kid even, I'm only twenty four, but yeah, we didn't really have much girls footy around. So I remember playing against this girl um, that played for Eagle Hawk and she was an absolute gun. Like she just, you know, she, it's not like she, anyone went easier on her. She was absolutely just straight through and she was like one of the better players. So what was that like um, playing with the boys uh, when you were growing up? Yeah, so my brother's only 14 months older than me and so it was, it was his first game in the under nines for Gisborne and I was there in all my Bulldogs kit, pretty keen to run around and dad, dad didn't have a bar of it and, then one of the dads sort of come up to me and said, why don't you let him have a go? And so it took a couple of weeks, but he finally, uh, re- yeah, agreed. And next minute I was running out with my brother and all his mates and, yeah, having a good time. And I think, um, yeah, a bit like you say, you hear that a lot, that the girls actually, you know, really hold their own in that in that junior footy sense. And, um, you know, and I was then playing with the boys in my age group and, yeah, well and truly holding my own. And, um, you know, just the, the boys in my team were fantastic. They were my best friends. That's who I hung around with at school and, um, you know, they didn't, you know, treat me any differently. Same with the coaches and the parents, it's, you know. The, as for the opposition now, that's obviously a totally different story. Um, but, yeah, I, I absolutely loved my time playing with the boys and just, yeah, the, my teammates were, were absolutely fantastic and, um, you know, the community at Gisborne, yeah, sort of took me in and really, yeah, um, enjoyed having me part of the team, which is great. Yeah, beautiful. So with your um, – I sort of find I've coached – a few like girls soccer and um, boys soccer teams, stuff like that when I was a bit younger. And I sort of found that girls had a better listening ability than the boys and they sort of picked up skills a bit quicker. Um, Have you done, you've obviously done a little bit of coaching yourself. How do you find the young girls sort of pick up these new skills like kicking a, you know, drop punt, handballing, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I um, I really love uh, coaching and, you know, sort of, um, passing on that knowledge that I've I've received and obviously, you know, trying to make it as basic as possible. But, yeah, I agree. The girls just have a, you know, the education side of things. They just, they want to know. They they ask questions. Whereas 
um, you know, obviously being a teacher and with the boys, they just listen, they nod their head and they go and have a go. But the girls will actually, you know, really break it down and make sure they're doing it correctly. So, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, each each has their, their positives and negatives. But um, I think, yeah, the girls really, I just think they just ask so many questions and all, they just want to get better and, um, you know, want to make sure they're doing it properly before um, sort of going out and playing it where the boys are just, okay, no worries, I'll go and have a crack and see what happens. So, yeah, no, I really enjoy um, coaching coaching the girls and, yeah, as I said, trying to pass on as much knowledge that I've, you know, sort of received in my time as I can. Yeah, cool. And do you feel like when you were playing, um, oh, one quick question, are you going to keep playing local league footy or do you reckon that's that's it for now? I think that's it for now. I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, you know, I definitely don't want to cop another knock um, yeah. And I know that potentially might not happen. Um, so I saw my neurologist on Thursday and he was really happy. I've got a sort of a neuropsych assessment where they'll actually, I had one in 2018 after I copped a couple of knocks in AFLW. So they'll actually be able to determine how much damage is actually done. Um, but yeah, I think for now trying to keep my, keep, keep away from any bumps would be, would, would be good. So, um, but yeah, just look forward to staying in the game through some, through some coaching. Yeah, cool. No, that's great. With the concussion, um, are you happy to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sort of? yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, because it's yeah, it's obviously a really hot topic the last few years. What was that movie that came out a few years ago? It was um, I'm just trying to remember. It was concussed or something like that. It had was it concussion? Like I think concussion. Was, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's like it's pretty scary because we don't actually quite know uh, what these um, solid concussions over and over again is going to do to us in the long run. There's not a great deal of data there. Um, so, yep. so that was early this year in a practice match that you got yep. concussed. Yep. Yeah. So, what sort of um, what sort of happened after that in terms of symptoms and how did that affect mm. your ability to function? Yeah. So, um, so what happened was it was a sling tackle and my head got smashed into the ground. And initially, um, you know, since the first sort of five seconds or so, I was obviously out of it. And then all I remember was sort of what coming to and the opposition uh, from the kangaroos was, you know, apologising and, you know, sincerely making sure that I was okay. And I walked off and I actually felt okay and obviously did the concussion test and I failed. So I sat on the side and watched the rest of the game. And I actually, to be honest, felt pretty good for, you know, probably for the impact that I that my head hit the ground. I actually, yeah, was feeling pretty good. So, um sort of you know teammate drove me home and I sort of just rested that afternoon and then the next day I felt pretty good and went and watched a, a friend play in the WNBL and went out for dinner like no worries and it wasn't sort of until the Monday and Tuesday that I started to feel the headaches and started to feel a bit lousy and sort of went back to training and, and you know spoke to the doctor and and sort of let him know how I was feeling he said I think you need to go home and rest and it sort of just went downhill for and yeah I sort of started the fogginess um started to sort of come over and I couldn't you know sort of think clearly and you know just when I went to talk or um speak like uh, you know the words weren't you know sort of coming to and I and I knew it was happening which is really really frustrating um I was super emotional like crying at the drop of a hat like my work colleagues sent me flowers and the um you know I got them delivered and I absolutely burst out crying to the to the deliver delivery man and it was just it was just crazy like things Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't cry at normally I was just um, and yeah, like the, you know, the headaches were just constant and, and just making me feel, you know, really, really lousy. Um, and, you know, it became really like, you know, I started to feel a bit depressed and mm. I didn't know when I was going to get better, if I was going to get better. And, you know, we're talking like three weeks later now and I, you know, so I'm not working, I'm not training, 
I'm not leaving the house. And like, you know, for someone who's you know, working full time training five nights a week, it's, you know, you start to feel pretty lousy. So um, yeah, I, I got some medical advice to, to head and see um, a neurologist and a neurophysio, uh, which was obviously the best thing for me. So straight away, they got me back into pretty much, you know, rehab for your brain. So you think about doing a knee, obviously, everyone can see that obviously, you can't see what's happening inside your brain. But there's clearly, you know, a bit of damage in there. We needed to try and obviously rehab it and make it make it better. So, you know, it took, um, you know, the best part of 10 weeks um, and, you know, probably took a good, yeah, sort of 10 weeks before I actually started to feel back back to myself. So, you know, I wasn't able to drive. So I, I was Ubering um, everywhere, like to appointments, down to training. If You know, I was allowed to go and do the bike initially. I wasn't allowed to attend team meetings. Um, I was, you know, doing a couple of hours at school each day and then it gradually, you know, became half days and then gradually full days. Um, but, yeah, like pretty much the whole of term one at school was, you know, totally all messed up and, you know, I felt for the kids because they were having different teachers all the time and, you know, it was just it was just horrible because like, the biggest thing was I didn't know when I was going to feel better or when I was going to – if or when I was – I knew I was going to get better. I just didn't – there was no time frame. It was like – is it next week? Is it three weeks? Is it six weeks? Is it six months? Like they could have told me six months and then I, I, but at least then I would have had a little bit of closure on how long it's going to take. Um, but yeah, amazing. Like obviously I was super lucky to have, you know, the, you know, the best medic, medical advice around me um, in regards to the neurologist, the neurophysio. Um, and, you know, it was, yeah, it was some really dark times and some really scary times. And that was probably the biggest thing is like how scary it was not knowing, not being myself and knowing that, like, you know, you sort of, I always sort of thought about, you know, you think about dementia and they don't know that they're saying the same thing again and again, or that they're forgetful, but I knew that it was happening. And so that was really scary. Mm. Yeah. It's that sort of um, area of the unknown. You're not sort of sure what's going on yeah you're right because yeah. with a physical injury they can sort of tell you even if you do correct god for it bit an acl they're like you correct. know 10 12 months yeah and we'll get it right eventually but yeah, yeah. with the brain i think you've yeah. definitely made the right call in terms of, yeah. sort of um yeah giving it up for now and sort of focusing on your health because at the end of the day like that's the most important thing if we don't have our health we really don't have anything yeah, I know initially all I wanted to do, because obviously this was January and there was, I think it was two weeks until round one or maybe three weeks. And all I wanted to do was get back around one. And then it was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to play around one, maybe like round three. And then and then it sort of dawned on me, Emma, who cares about football right now? How about, well, let's get back to being Emma Grant because that's really good. So, you know, obviously footy, you know, has always been sort of at the forefront of my life. I thought, you know, it, you know, it struck me that actually health's number one and footy's actually got to take a back seat here. Yeah, absolutely. So with um, your work with a neurologist and stuff, so you would have had MRIs and CAT scans and stuff to scan the brain. Yeah. Did, did they actually see any changes in the brain or any trauma there or was it all? Nah, so yeah, like he, the sort of the scans they do um, really will just show you if there's, if there's major trauma, blood clot, anything like that. Um, the neuropsych assessment that I'll, that I'll have in a couple of weeks um, will because especially because I've had one I had one in 2018 and that's sort of like a three-hour test of you know think about a concussion test and all the things you've got to do in that times like 100 you, you know lots and lots of memory reaction time um, and so because the, we've got a baseline of where I was at you know a few years ago that'll give us a really good indication of sort of where I'm at 
but in regards to the um, scans and stuff, all that came back clear, thank goodness. Um, mm. But, you know, it's it, as they say, it's really hard to pick up, you know, a concussion on, on a scan. Um, obviously, you know, your, your brain's had a good shake and um, there's no you know, actual physical damage in there. There's no bleed or anything like that, thank God. But clearly there's, uh, there is damage there. Yeah, well, I suppose it's just the way the body's way of protecting yourself. You get that knock and it just shuts everything down and yep. sort of recuperates itself. Um, so with your last, so you had a lot, the last concussion you said you had a sort of all the psych tests and stuff. Is that right? Yep, yep. So what was, was that playing footy as well, the last one? Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So 2018, like cause 2017, the very first AFLW game I actually got concussed and was the first I'll, this will be a trivia card one day, guys. First <laughs> AFLW play to be concussed. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I copped one a couple of weeks later, and then the, and then you know we put then we go back and we play in the VFL competition. I copped a couple there, and then it was in the December in a training session. I copped another one, so that's why they sort of said, okay, we want you to, you know, go and get this testing done just in case you cop, you know, were to have another one. And you know, it was quite, you know, initially obviously I hadn't didn't actually have one for a couple of years and I thought we should have had that neuropsych testing done five years ago and, you know, it could have been the thing that's, you know, stopped all these concussions. But, yeah, then obviously um, this one in January. So, and it, I knew straight away it was different because initially when I use, you know, when I've had head knocks in the past, it's sort of that headache and not feeling well for the first couple of days and then you just you, you feel better, like it just slowly improves. But it was like I didn't, I actually felt pretty good and then I just, it just went, like downhill bad so it was, i knew straight away it was sort of like a different beast yeah for sure and the thing is like we know our own body better than anyone else so i think it's important to listen to that yeah uh, with the um two ankle surgeries and shoulder reco last year like i don't want to harp on the negatives but i think it's important for the listeners to sort of uh you know people always have their ups and downs in life how did you get through that period because obviously getting injured especially if you're playing sport, that's a fairly big kick in the backside. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was pretty tough. I think I've never had a surgery before and then I had like three in four weeks. So it was, it was a little bit crazy. I actually had um, my ankle done and then a week later I had my shoulder done and shoulder wasn't a rico. It was a, it was a clean out of my AC joint that I'd injured um, against Melbourne that year. So I was sort of, um, yeah, not able to do much for a while. And then my, um, yeah, the ankle actually, you know, didn't work properly. They weren't really happy with it. So then I had to go under again for the ankle. So it was sort of one thing after another. And, yeah, sort of I finally felt like I'd finally got my body right. And, yeah, you know, I hadn't had any major injuries before, be- sort of before um, the ankle and the shoulder. So, you know, I do count my blessings that I've, ha- I've been pretty um, injury-free and been able to have a pretty good run at it. But, tell you what rehab life is 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 tough and um i can definitely understand why you know some people you know think you know pull the pin and say you know i've had enough because it's um you know it's lonely it's long and um yeah it can be it can be quite tough but there's obviously you know lots of positives to it as well you know running back out and actually kicking the footy and just the little things that you you probably took for granted at the start like i remember saying to the girls when i let them know about my retirement that all I wanted to do, especially this year, was just to get out with them and even just complete the warm-up in the training sessions, and I, I couldn't even do that. So little things like that that you take for granted, um, yeah, I think opened your eyes a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's one of those things, like even now with ISO and stuff, there's a lot of things you can't do, and you sort of appreciate yeah. it more now that it's taken Absolutely. away from you. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. That's just human nature. 
for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's good. So how did you balance um, when you were playing 2017-18 solidly, you know, playing AFLW training? How did you balance um, your training, your teaching and sort of your f- family and personal life? Because that's a fairly massive yeah. commitment. Yeah, and it, and it is, and, it, and I'll tell you what, it's really tough. And, you know, we saw that um, the GWS captain, Amanda Frugia, obviously retired just before the start of the season just because she couldn't do it anymore. You know, she couldn't do it 100% at what she wanted to. She's a teacher as well, and I totally could understand where she's coming from. You know, it's, it's, it's really tough. I mean, I was living in Bendigo for the first season and a half, and I, I was travelling from Bendigo to Melbourne four nights a week. And, you know, it was it was the fact that I was starting to fall asleep on the way home that I said, okay, something's got to give here. I've either got to move to Melbourne or I've got to stop playing footy because else I'm going to die, like literally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, made the call to move to Melbourne and, and you know, obviously footy career doesn't last very long. So, um, yeah, my wife was happy to um, pack up our, our house and our jobs in Bendigo and move to Melbourne and, and give it a crack down here. And obviously now I live 10 minutes away from the Holden Centre and I can ride my bike, which is which is great. And, you know, it gives you that extra couple of hours a day too that you're not sitting in the car and let alone the the e-tag and the fuel bill. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, time management and organisation is probably the key to to getting it all, you know, done and, and done to a high standard. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, Sundays are spent sort of meal prepping for the week, getting everything ready. Um, you know, obviously at school, you know, I use my time wisely, try and get, you know, everything done that I need to in, in the time that's sort of provided and, um, obviously trying to give as much to my footy as well but you know it's a really tough situation to you know to be working full-time but also you know being a being a part-time athlete as well um, you know sort of giving 20 hours to the to training as well as you know a 40-hour week makes you makes it a pretty pretty busy uh, sort of week but the only reason we do it is because we love it and um, you know again I'm super fortunate to be given the opportunity to play there's plenty of women who've gone before me that didn't get this opportunity um, so, and hopefully, you know, by us doing the hard yards now, hopefully in, you know, five to 10 years, these girls will be doing it professionally and won't be having to sort of work full time as well. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great message, um, for the young kids. What sort of, are you primary school or secondary school teacher? Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm actually secondary, um, trained, but, um, currently working in a primary school. So my first job was at Bendigo Senior and then, um, I got a job at Bendigo Violet Street as the PE teacher. And now I'm at Mooney Ponds Primary School as the PE teacher. Yeah, nice. No, that's awesome. I can relate with the teaching. Like, I'm only um, finished my degree last year, but yeah, I sort of just do a bit of casual relief teaching and had a couple of short contracts. And yeah, the time you can put into it can be crazy when you're sort of marking and writing yeah. reports and stuff. So yeah, it's yeah. fairly full on. Um, so with the, I was sort of just wondering with um your experience you've went through, what sort of advice would you give to a little girl that wants to play? footy at a top level or sort of wants to chase, you know, those sort of aspirations. Do you have like a couple little takeaways for them? Yeah, I think number one is to to listen to your parents and to, the, to your coach. Um, I think, you know, the, um, they're there to help and support you and, um, you know, whatever they're sort of saying is, is, is only to, yeah, to make you better. So that's probably my number one thing. Um, number two is just to take the opportunities as, as they come your way. So, you know, you know, I think about the, the opportunity to be part of the AFL Academy. You know, obviously I was living in Bendigo at the time. Um, you know, if I didn't take that opportunity, I probably wouldn't have been exposed to, you know, definitely the, the high level of, um, you know, high performance regarding like gym work, running, 
um, the skill acquisition stuff that, you know, then I wouldn't have been noticed by Melbourne and probably wouldn't have got drafted. So I think when you're, when you're given opportunities in life, I think definitely you've got to look at it and, and weigh it up and work out is, is it an opportunity that you're willing to sort of take and probably sacrifice something else for. Um, and, yeah, I think personally, like I just that organization and ticking the box. So when I, when I get given a program by my coach or by our high performance team regarding our running sessions or gym or whatever it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm one to print it off and tick it off and make sure I'm doing everything. So when round one comes and that team selected, and if I'm not in it, I can say I did everything I possibly could to have been part of that team. Whereas if I, you know, missed a few sessions here, you know, um, chose to, you know, eat pizza five nights a week and do the wrong thing there, then I can, I can, I've only got myself to blame. So I think, um, yeah, try and try and leave no stone, stone unturned. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, yeah, fantastic. With the organisation part of it, can you share uh, with the specific ways of organising sort of your life? Do, like, do you use apps on a computer or phone or do you have a diary? Because even myself, that's something that I'm still sort of working on, just being organised and you know, not having something the next day and completely forget yeah. about it. So yeah, I yeah. I think so. I've got a I've got a calendar in my fridge, which um has is usually pretty full, but at the moment with COVID, it's it's looking pretty empty, which is quite nice. Um, <laughs> so I I write everything on that. So it's obviously a monthly calendar. Um, just just so you know, I think yeah, we go to the fridge a few times a day, so we can um remind ourselves. And then yeah, I use my phone. I use my alarm. So for instance, three forty seven. Um, my alarm went off to say I'm doing a podcast today. So just to remind me, um, yeah, I like to set alarms and sort of have a look at my, my schedule of my day. But I think I like to write things down and be prepared sort of like a month at a time. And as something comes in, I can just jot that down on the fridge. Um, but otherwise, yeah, using my phone as alarms or the calendar in your phone is, is good as well. Yeah, nice. No, that's great. With your coaching at the minute, um, I think I might have read before that you've got a gig coaching the Victorian Metro side or something like that. Was that, was that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what's that opportunity been like? Did you only just start that this year? or? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I um, I coached the Vic Country under 16 teams with Catherine Smith, who she plays at Melbourne. Um, so we did that together. And then last year, I coached the 16 Metro team um, by myself. Obviously, I had a few, um, as a head coach, I had a few assistant coaches, which was great. And then, yeah, this year, I was um, fortunate enough to you know, be given an opportunity to coach the um, under 18 Vic Metro team. So, you know, that's, the, you know, the best 30 girls in, um, you know, Vic Metro who, you know, obviously a few of them will, will go on and get drafted into AFLW um, clubs this, you know, for, for next year. So, you know, fantastic opportunity for me, um, obviously being in Melbourne. So, you know, that was actually supposed to, supposed to start next week um, in regards to training and we'll, um, due to have a championship, a carnival up in Queensland in the July school holidays, obviously with COVID that's, that's going to change a little bit. And so that they're sort of looking at different um, ways that what that'll look like. Obviously something will still go ahead in regards to um, the Vic Metro program. And I look forward to sort of yeah getting in with the girls. And obviously it's a really tough time for them at the moment, just like it is with everyone. This, uh, you know, COVID's affecting everyone differently, um, but definitely everyone's affected. So yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what that looks like um, sort of in the next month or two. And um, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, no, that's great. So with your with your coaching style, so you're you're a PE teacher, so obviously PE teaching and coaching they're very similar, if not the same. What would you say? Do you ever give the girls a spray and stuff, or are you more of a sort of calm, relaxed sort of character when you're yeah. sort of game day, or does it vary? Yeah, I think it varies. I think especially you know if you think about the 
the type of coaching I'm doing, it's obviously pretty, it's a short term thing. The girls come into a program. We only have a limited number of training sessions and then we um, play in sort of like a championship style format. So, you know, for me, number one is just the rapport and relationship and relationships with the girls, obviously getting to know them, um, getting them to trust you and, you know, just, yeah, developing that relationship and getting to know them as, as people rather than footballers as well. Obviously I, I go around um, to NAB League games every week and watch them. So I know what they're like as footballers, but I want to know them as people as well. And I think that's really important when it comes to being drafted. These, um, you know, the football clubs talk about character. So I want them to become, you know, better better people and then obviously better players as well. So, but absolutely, if they're, if they're not doing the job and, and, you know, I expect and I know they can do better, um, I'll let them know. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, because it's all... Coaching is such a complex gig. You got, you know, twenty or different individuals from all different backgrounds. Yeah, and it's, it's exactly the same with teaching. And you've got to try and find a way to get the best out of all of them. So I suppose with um, you watching their sort of nab games beforehand, I think if you can have a good understanding of what their skills and best attributes are, once they do get to that higher level, uh, you can sort of try and foster that instead of giving them huge game, you know, game plans with heaps of tactics is it more about sort of getting the girls in their right positions that they're happy playing and um sort of nurturing them that way yeah exactly as you said you know we're talking about the top 30 30 girls in victoria in in vic metro so they're obviously pretty talented footballers already so it's about obviously making making what they're really good at um even better and obviously working on a couple of things that that obviously um they they can improve on but um for me you know i think to try and you know I don't want to I don't want to pinpoint one, a girl as, as she's only a forward I want to make them as versatile as possible and because I think the more versatile they are the, the better chance of, of getting drafted yeah for sure I think that's so so good um getting them to play for a few different positions because it's so different I've, I've sort of played a bit of footy and soccer just amateur level um and I played a lot of my career in the back line and you can sort of see the whole game unfolding but once mm-hmm. you get in the midfield and forward it's just completely changes like you got it's more of a 360 you got people coming from everywhere yeah for sure so yeah, just giving those those girls a better understanding of what they're doing um so i think connor's going to jump on for a question or two no yeah yeah so uh thanks for sharing all that stuff with us it's been really interesting listening to it so far but um no worries Obviously, the AFLW, you said, started earlier than expected, but obviously there's been female sporting leagues in Australia beforehand, such as the W League and the WNBL. How, how do you think the AFLW did so well in getting the league set up so quickly? Because I know it took a long time for the W League to get where it is, whereas it seems like the AFLW has sort of fast-tracked that and... Is it the system they've set up because it's big sporting clubs like Collingwood Football Club coming in or is there something else that you think helped um, the sport grow so quickly in the female game? Yeah, I think I think the fact that we're playing AFL football, obviously that, you know, the number one sport in Australia definitely helps and obviously the backing of the AFL and, you know, definitely there's ways they could, they could have done things better, but I think, you know, they promoted and, um, you know, put it put us out there, you know, as much as possible. I think, you know, obviously being on TV is huge and, um, you know, because you think about the W League and the WNBL, they still sort of struggled to to get their games, you know, onto, onto television where we're yeah. on Channel 7 or at least 7 mates sort of each week, which I, which I think is just, you know, you, you, you can't put, you know, sort of a dog of, dollar figure on that. Like that is just, um, 
I just always think about you can't be what you can't see. So if these kids aren't able to come to our game and if we're not on TV, then they're not seeing us. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, a couple of things. Um, obviously, I think the media have really enjoyed getting to know us as people as well. And, you know, there's some really fantastic stories um, behind the, you know, behind the player that I think have, have exposed and, you know, that people have sort of fallen in love with, you know, like a Daisy Pierce who's had mm. twins and come back and, you know, things like that is just incredible. So, yeah, I think there's there's different parts to it, but I think the number one thing is, you know, just being part of, you know, at the AFL, um, you know, the biggest sort of league in, in Australia um, has, yeah, definitely helped. Yeah, definitely. Um, going on to the female sports uh, growing here, um, I've coached both um, senior women and senior men's soccer, and you can tell that there's a different style to the way they play the game. Um, can you see that when you watch the boys play footy versus the girls playing? Is there a different approach to the game or like different tactics in place? Yeah, I think I think I think the main difference personally is just that we're still so new to it and that we haven't been exposed to it for especially at the moment with the you know with the age group that are currently playing. Uh, most of the girls had to have that break from football. So I think mm-hmm. as these girls who come through, you know, these NAB League systems and whatnot, they'll be, it'll look a lot similar to the men's, you know, I'm talking in 10, 15 years. I think, you know, the skills, everything, because and they're going to be more professional. They're going to be earning more money. They're going to be able to put more, put, put more time into it. And that's such a big thing. Like at the moment, if you think about, you know, the, during the day, the boys are there working their bums off training for football we're working at a different job not even thinking mm. about footy and then we've got we've got to come in and cram a three-hour session in after working you know a whole day and then get home and sleep. you know it's just it's crazy when you think about it so once that sort of makes the shift and it'll take time and, and, and that's okay but um yeah that sort of skill skill acquisition and, and the way that the game's played will just change um dramatically i think yeah. So you said you were working with um the younger, so like Vic Metro teams coming through. Uh, what's the future of footy looking like? Because I know in Australia we've got a strong culture of um, successful female sports and sports people. Um, obviously, the AFLW are going to look to tap into these excellent athletes. Um, is there an excellent bunch of girls coming through the younger age groups that are going to be coming into the AFLW in a couple of years? Absolutely. Some of these girls who I'll coach uh, very soon in this Vic Metro team, you know, unbelievable. You know, I just think about, you know, they would walk into, you know, any AFLW side right now and, and be a starting player um, and they're 18 years old. So, um, you know, we think about, you know, women's sports, you know, sports women in Australia, you know, you'd love for a Sam Kerr to be pull on the West, the West Coast Eagles jumper in a few years after she's had enough of um, the round ball game. And, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of women out there that would love to get across, but they're also doing such fantastic stuff in their own sport. And, you know, we love watching the materials. We love watching the Southern stars. Like, I think it's just awesome that women's sport is finally getting the recognition it deserves. And um, yes, the, it's, it's incredible to, to see. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, t- for sure. Uh, that's a great insight. So we'll sort of just finish off, Emma. Um, what are your? Do you have any aspirations for your coaching? Would you like to coach, sort of, um, an AFLW side possibly one day? Or... Yeah, I think um, I don't. You know, I sort of don't want to put a ceiling on on sort of what my aspirations are. I think at the moment I'm just sort of taking you know the opportunities as they come. And as I said before, it doesn't mean every opportunity that you take, you've got to actually you know think about 
think about it as a whole and where and where you want to get what you're doing at the moment. So, you know, at the moment being part of the academy program at, at AFL level um, in regards to Vic Metro is, is you know, I, I really enjoy that. And, um, and, you know, I feel that's a really big step, especially coaching the under 18 girls and, you know, sort of look forward to seeing what we can produce this year and, you know, what that looks like next year. You know, I'm not entirely sure, but I, all I know is that I really enjoy teaching the game and, um, you know, really, really, have, you know, I'm obviously really passionate about the game and, you know, I just want to see um, young girls, you know, become better people and, and um, better players and, you know, look forward to watching them run around um, representing AFLW clubs in the future. But, you know, whether it's coaching in the VFL, VFLW, AFL, AFLW, um, I have no idea, but, you know, I think the world's my oyster and I look forward to seeing where I go. Yeah, for sure. No, that's fantastic. It's good that you're giving back to the game as well because I feel like a lot of um, there are a lot of athletes that sort of play the sport and I don't know whether they get burnt out or whatever, but they sort of go away from it. But if you can and you still do have that passion, I think it's brilliant um, coaching and sort of fostering that next generation. So that's – and obviously as a teacher, that's sort of in your nature. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree. I think, you know, so many people have given me so much and given up their time to – to help me, um, whether that was, you know, playing at the under nines at Gisborne, playing at the Bendigo Thunder, um, playing at Collingwood, you know, I think if we, if we can give back and um, and not just give back, but actually help um, and support, I think, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, for sure. Because one thing you sort of appreciate as you get a little bit older is you can't get back time. So I sort of think back now to yeah, all the junior coaches I had, teachers, uh, you know, volunteers, you know, come to the footy, running the boundary whatever it was yeah those people can never get those hours you know hundreds of hours back absolutely um, but yeah obviously they wanted to do it so I think that's that's really that's really good and the last thing would be um can you see yourself teaching forever or do you reckon you'll give it a flick one day and do something else yeah it's a great question I think I don't I can't see myself teaching forever I, I really enjoy it and I, I do love it but you know as as you as you spoke about before the the hours that go, you know, that you have to put in in regards to reports and preparation and everything like that. And I, I just think, you know, there's um, as at the moment that's that's it's perfect. I love it, and um, you know, I couldn't ask for anything more. But I, I definitely am always on the you know lookout for other opportunities. Um, but yeah, right now um, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. But yeah, I can't see myself doing it for for forever. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. I reckon I might do it for five, ten years and yeah. crack it at a kid and do something else. Yeah. No, nah, they're good. I think once I think the good outweighs the bad. Is once that sort of turns the other way and the bad starts outweighing the good, that's when you got to start yeah. asking yourself, "Is this the right thing for me?" And I'm sure that's sort of yeah the way you approach it as well. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Emma, a lot. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. It's been a pleasure no talking to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, beautiful. No worries. Thanks for listening to The Blokes in Your Ear. You can check us out on Facebook and our page, The Blokes in Your Ear. Also, check out our Instagram and Twitter using the tag at Blokes in Your Ear. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back with another podcast soon.